Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Sean KB. I'm Andy. And we are here with two returning guests today to talk about the 2010s. They are Jake Flores. Hello. And Simone Norman. Hi. Just imagine them as talking heads. Like Paul Shear or... Kathy Griffin. Shows. Yeah. That's the only good part of my body. Or Alf. Is my head. <laughs> Andy Cohen. I feel like he goes on those now. Andy yeah. Richter. Andy Richter. Andy <laughs> <laughs> Kindler. Andy Kindler. Oh, careful. No, I like I'm Andy Kindler. No, I'm not going to do the thing that Will did. Um, that's been done. Okay. And the third thing. <laughs> well, we're basically going to do a state of the industry, but a state of the decade. Hmm. Oh, boy. Because, as you know, we love the 2010s. Or That's What a great decade. Human history. The yep. best. Yep. Things are getting real interesting. I, don't, I mean, I'm still not sure what the fuck just happened or if there's any like particular character we can assign to this decade. I think that based on what we saw in this last decade, things are only going to get better from mm-hmm. here on out. I'm very optimistic. Yeah. All right. Pretty auspicious the start best to decade, the millennium. <laughs> the best decade of the best millennium. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that might that might turn out to be true. Uh, might be yeah. the only decade. not in the way that we want. <laughs> yeah. The only full decade. Uh, it's all downhill from here. The other one just kicked off with nine eleven. That's pretty hard to beat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, whoa, way to show off. Uh, it's, yeah. Let's. Uh, oh yeah, there was a whole other decade before this. De- God. Jesus, we're yeah. I yes, forgot. We're I'm, I forgot. I'm not 17. <laughs> yeah, no, I I forget that all the time. Yeah. And I feel like the aughts still like people aren't totally ready to talk about that decade yet. No. as a thing that existed in time and is over now and had its own shit going on. I mean, I I talk about it a lot because like this is kind of the dawn of my political consciousness. But like people don't really want to talk about it. People will say like that's so 90s about Mm. something that was like actually very aughts Mm -hmm. like um, Suicide Girls or Mm -hmm. something like that was a white that was some Y2K shit Mm -hmm. that began in like 2001. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or like uh, like because people say to me, you know, like, oh, well, you're a 90s kid. I was like, well, I was age zero through seven in the 90s. (laughs) So most of my cultural consciousness was formed during the early aughts, not the 90s. In terms of the aughts, I do agree we're not really ready to process it. You know, I'm a history guy, so it's very similar to what happened after World War I. You had what was called the lost generation who saw such trauma, you know, and such brutality in that war where millions of people died. I think Generation Z, the Zoomers, have seen something that brutal, you know, (laughs) online and off. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe they're the new lost generation. They're traumatized. They're traumatized. They're working out their trauma on TikTok. The new lost generation. Well, as we all know, um, as part of world systems theory, every era contains uh, elements of the one that preceded it and the one that will come next. And in that spirit, we're going to start out with 2009, which some people think is actually the first year of this decade we just had. No, they um, would say that 2011 would be the first year. Oh, my God. I... I'm not good at math. All right. I keep getting it wrong. But anyway. Well, let's just throw it in there because I think uh, doing the last uh, year of the aughts is going to help set up this yeah, entire context. decade. For, context. Thanks. Yeah. It's context. Yes. Yeah. Like you have to lead in. When you're watching your prestige television show and there's the uh, last time on Watchmen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> last time on so, reality. So let's have our, uh, our staff Marxist historian 
kick it off. All right. Um, as a Marxist historian, I can tell all of you that 2009 was materially, all right, not in an ideological or an ideational sense, a year of hope and change. A hundred percent. Okay. A man by the name of Barack Hussein Obama was sworn into office. And if people don't understand the portent of that moment, maybe you don't remember it. Maybe you weren't there. Maybe you weren't born yet. I don't know. I don't know why an 11 year old would be listening to this, but, uh, Obama was sworn in, and if you didn't see that inauguration speech, with his stirring oratory and a teleprompter, he basically made this address that I think, you know, looking back, effectively ended systemic racism in American society and potentially imperialist wars forever. You want me to play it? I would agree. America! America! In the face of our common dangers, in this winter of our hardship... Let us remember these timeless words. With hope and virtue, let us brave once more the icy currents and endure what storms may come. Let it be said by our children's children that when we were tested, we refused to let this journey end, that we did not turn back nor did we falter. And with eyes fixed on the horizon and God's grace upon us, we carried forth that great gift of freedom. All right, all right. <laughs> House Targaryen. You can't see, but I was remember, yawning the whole time. Remember at the time how inspired everybody was is, but how much it just sounds like complete and utter horseshit yeah. right now. It didn't age well. It didn't age well. That was the winter of our hardships. 2009. Yeah, he, he always uses these ship metaphors of like, we just... We can't turn the ship all the way all at once. We have to turn two degrees, and then we'll get in the right direction. <laughs> and then it'll be the Titanic. Two degrees in the direction of a glacier. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's this myth of liberal progress that like history just always moves in the right direction. And mm. all you have to do is just keep things stable and maybe make things a little bit better. And Trump is living proof that history can go directly backwards immediately and radically. Oh, yeah. Shall I go to the next great hit of 2009? Uh-huh. Please. All right. Yeah, I'm uh, over Obama. I'm over that. I'm <laughs> I think done. we might we might uh, see Obama again in this retrospective. <laughs> uh-huh. um, perhaps doing some war crimes. Uh, anyways, um, so a movie called Inglorious Bastards Hell came yeah. out by Quentin Tarantino. Excellent film. Mm-hmm. We've all seen it, I hope. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. 2009. I think what it did was it cemented the civilized world's hatred of all things Nazi. Right. It created this violent tour de force that cathartically expunged all fascism from the culture (laughs) and the body politic. I think you'd argue forever and anon. Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards solved fascism in 2009. Thank you so much. Good thing they nailed that down. (laughs) Tarantino. But then there was a sequel 10 years later. (laughs) Uh, Next on our list. um, This one's fun. So the Icelandic financial system collapsed. Uh, Folks might remember a giant financial crisis happening at this time. Uh, Might have had some effects on the rest of the, you know, last 10 years. So it turns out in Iceland that having 14% of your national G, I'm sorry, 14 times your national GDP in banking assets alone, floating around in a speculative bubble built on fictitious capital and fraud is a little unsustainable. The entire sector collapsed. But the good news is Iceland joined the European Union. Mm. The Lisbon Treaty went into effect and it guaranteed constitutionality for the EU, creating a series of regulations and laws that bounded these different countries together in one strong political structure that I think you could again argue 
meant that in 2009, the European Union would be unbreakable, mm -hmm. an unbreakable bond between these countries. With Iceland, how can they lose? <laughs> That's like 750 people. <laughs> in uh, 2009, a uh, movie adaptation came out called The Watchmen. And this, you know, began this franchise, which I think left longtime fans of this influential comic book pleased with the verisimilitude and the adherence to core themes, you know, that would that would persist from this day forward. So the Watchmen film in 2009 was was a very important cultural touchstone. Oh, yeah. Nobody. No one. Uh, Guys, the uh, big controversy over Watchmen being a horrible. Um, uh, Leslie said it was bad and that I shouldn't watch it. So I, you know, Leslie is my guru for all things culture. So I uh, listen to him. So again, uh, 2009, the Honduran military uh, prosecuted a coup against Manuel Zelada. This led to world condemnation as um, as leaders, you know, across the globe declared that never again will a, Lat will a Latin American democracy suffer a coup like this. Mm -hmm. Let's hear Hillary Clinton and uh, talking about her role in this. She denounced it uh, harshly. Oh, actually. sure. Yeah, I think so. A coup. You immediately have to shut off all aid, including humanitarian aid, um, the Agency for International Development aid, uh, the support that we were providing at that time for a lot of very poor people. And that triggers a legal necessity. There's no way to get around it. So our assessment was we will just make the situation worse by punishing the Honduran people mm -hmm. if we declare a coup and we immediately have to stop Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't uh, a coup. People, Damn, all right. But we should slow walk and try to stop anything that the government could take advantage of without calling it a coup. Okay, well, maybe I had that one a little bit wrong, guys. Maybe it wasn't a military coup, uh, according to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. It and, was a uh, coup, but we can't call it that. Oh, that means okay. we'd have to do something about it, and that would be really fucked up. Well... With that uh, really stunning and clear answer, I'm really surprised she lost uh, later in the decade a very important election. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Uh, so last one on the list. Uh, this is another, uh, I think, event and moment that shows how 2009 really brought the decade forward. A little country called Bolivia, under this leader, Evo Morales, declared a new constitution, which forever and anon would guarantee the right of self-governance and autonomy to indigenous peoples over their ancestral land and forever overturned centuries of injustice prosecuted by the Criollo elite. So at that point in time, forever, the indigenous people of Bolivia would have a government that allowed them this autonomy. So I think that there's a lot to appreciate that in 2009. It really set the stage moving forward for a much better world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And don't forget, this is also the year that gave us Witch House, a micro genre that peaked around, I would say, Halloween of 2010 and provided a really good soundtrack for uh, female empowerment, like what we just heard from Hillary Clinton. Right. And lots of really weird neon leotards. Yeah. I think I figured out what I was trying to say about Watchmen. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So you have this beloved graphic novel that's got all this interesting historical shit in it. And uh, it's a cult phenomenon. It's on every person's um, bookshelf next to the little Funko Pops and shit. It's, um, it's ubiquitous, right? Hollywood goes, why don't we make this into a film? 
we should get Zack Snyder, the guy who made 300. He makes these visually pleasing, pretty superhero movies. We're not even yet at, like, peak superhero. It's still an interesting idea. Mm. It's still something. These We're uh, riding off the heels of uh, The Dark Knight, the first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, or I guess the second one. And, uh, and then everyone goes and watches this thing that should be, like, a fucking home run. Uh, an adaptation of the most beloved anti-comic book movie of all time. And what you get is a very pretty thing that leaves you feeling empty because simply applying the thing that has worked over and over and over doesn't actually accomplish something. It's actually antithetical to the uh, what's the inner workings of the Watchmen, which are material and not just uh, synthetic and uh, aesthetic. Does that make more mm. sense? Yes, it does. The so Watchmen is like Obama. That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> this is an Obama approach to a thing that needs a like a someone else. And it the 2009, 2010, it really made it seem like this was going to be like the Obama decade of like, you know, the Bush war on terror mm-hmm. stuff that's behind us. Things the end are, of history, the second. Yeah, things are going to be cool now. Um, and the, like the pretty yet empty media that comes out of our society is kind of an, a vague echo of the uh, all of his rhetoric that mm-hmm. makes us feel good. But ultimately, material, it does nothing to our lives. And I think one of the promises of Obama, if I remember correctly, is that it was going to not just put aside the Bush era, which, of course, was punctuated by two... Very horrendous wars, obviously 9-11 before that. And then at the end of it, a giant financial crisis. There was this sense that John McCain was going to be a continuation of Bushism and that Obama was going to be hope and change, but that he would do more than that. He would try to effectively right the wrongs, you know, in American society and (laughs) politics. As it turns out, nobody was held accountable. And as we all know, Obama continued a lot of the same policies and just kind of turned the ship about two degrees, Mm -hmm. uh, much to our... Peril. Hey, it was time to turn the page. Okay, nobody yeah. wants to dwell on the past, right. the war crimes of the Bush administration, <laughs> whatever, whatever. That's like that's not hope. That's not change. It's just time to ignore all that stuff and keep doing it exactly the same way, but <laughs> with a nicer orator. And you know, it's too late now. So <laughs> what happened happened. Well, we can still prosecute Obama for war crimes. Yeah, yeah, Maybe you're Trump right. Will right. agree with us. On that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's. It's good that we kind of close with like a little talk about culture, uh, like the 2009 culture and the, maybe Witch House as an ominous segue to mm. 2010. Because obviously, you know, 2010 still has these like good Obama vibes, but there begins to be the hints of uh, something structurally being wrong. And mm. I think my view of the decade is that just deepens and deepens until it's just very blatant today. So like the hit it's movies, almost like papering uh, over all these problems and not confronting right. them. Right. Yep. So the hit movies this year, I think, have kind of that theme of paranoia, the social network about Facebook, which is something that I think, you know, at the time everybody liked more. Like, I think everyone hates Facebook now. Mm. But back then there was a sense that like this is like a really good way to like connect with people. And it's like a good platform for talking and sharing photos and stuff. But the social network kind of had gave this sort of dark side to it, showing, like, the history of its business and, like, kind of the psychodrama of Mark Zuckerberg, making him look like kind of this sinister character. He's a sociopath, for sure. Yeah. Um, we just didn't know it. And started right. Facebook in, in order to, like, rate how hot girls mm. on campus were. Like, mm-hmm. that it was right. about rating their intentions. faces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It started as a, as a beautiful social experiment. Him and Shank Uger started. Once it got corporatized. <laughs> um... 
Yeah, and uh, soon to be congressman from California. Oh, and by the way, like yeah, I, don't, I feel like people maybe don't know about like the actual Facebook that when I, was this just an Ivy League thing? I'm showing the my Facebook. No, yeah, it was an it was for Ivy League students. I'm too. showing my like disgusting class background here when I say that I had a physical copy of the Facebook. Are you and I crazy. the Necronomicon? Yeah, and and in fact they did use it for exactly what you're saying for because casting black magic. It was the freshman Facebook and doing of all the incoming freshmen. But I mean, basically, and I, I was in there. Look, I, I used a little picture that I like cropped from my space, you know, that I had probably scanned previously from an actual photo of myself looking all punky and cute in high school. And I actually got a call on my dorm room phone from a bunch of seniors <laughs> who found me in the freshman Facebook and thought I looked like a good, good time gal, I guess, and invited me over to hang out oh at their God. off-campus apartment. You had a dorm. F- what dorm did you live in at the time? I lived in John Jay. You lived in John Jay? That's Great where I ate all my guys. I Great actually, founder. Little known fact, I went to Barnard, the um, women's undergraduate Ivy League adjacent college of Columbia across the street from where Jamie went. Did you have um, a Facebook there too? Well, I was, was there. That, uh, I was there after you, so I was not. It was just Facebook then. It wasn't like uh, the kind you're describing. Um, I feel like Barnard's too woke to ever have had a freshman Facebook. Parts of Barnard are definitely too woke for that. I mean, I was this there to get my MRS degree, which uh, you know worked out because I have a long-term boyfriend who I met at Columbia. So, um, That's what know. they give at women's college. MRS, MRS degree, is- yeah. It's when you get married to a boy you meet. Um, I also got a bachelor's, which was cool. Uh, and no, but Barnard students, uh, we that I was on campus for the advent of, of Tinder. Oh, that man. Tinder was sweeping uh, when I was on campus. But anyway, yeah. I remember <laughs> hearing about Tinder because Grindr was big and people were like, they're going to make a Grindr for straight people. Right. Yeah. And that's what and that's what Tinder was. Yeah. And that I mean, we'll we'll get to that when we get to like 2011, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess uh, the freshman's Facebook seems a little quaint now in retrospect, considering all the better technologies we now have with which to assess and rate women's attractiveness and fuckability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like rate my professor. It's like, old fashioned. But I only need one app for that. It's called the, the <laughs> <laughs> wait. But Andy was saying that, like, oh, we all hate Facebook now. I will say that, yes, we all hate Facebook now. And it's like literally has destroyed um, our generation and, of boomers and democracy and the boomers. But I will also say that I've kind of come back around and love it again because it is now just a place for insane boomers. Mm-hmm. And the shit that you can see them saying uh-huh. to each other is so funny and 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 wild um, that I, I'll never get rid of my Facebook because, like, I want to see my crazy cousin Amy, like, talk about how, like, use her Munchausen's in order to get, like, <laughs> scam money so she can paint her dog shed. Like, yeah, someone should make a podcast about I that. I want to hear about that it because It started as a public forum for everybody to come together and talk and meet and connect. And now it's essentially a zoo. Where we yeah. put all the crazy people behind bars and we watch them. And, and we see screenshot them and we yeah. bring it to Twitter and we That's cash right. it in for clout. And there is value in that. There's yeah. real value in that. It's how I feel c- close to my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> cousin, go on Antifada. It's how I feel close cousin to Amy. Uh, Alex Gendler and Doug Henwood, the only two friends of the show who regularly <laughs> use Facebook for its original intended purpose. Alex Gendler, the 32-year-old boomer. <laughs> original intended purpose being rating whether women are hot. <laughs> oh. Yo, my cousin Amy's a looker. She is. Cousin Amy, go on Antifada. Cousin Amy, go on Antifada. Uh, so another 
two other movies that I, I had on here as hit movies were Inception, Black Swan, which I think, you know, also get into this sort of uneasy psychodrama that's going on, like this, like, uneffable horror that's mm-hmm. beneath everything. You, like, Black Swan, obviously, with this kind of um, loss of the self and loss of identity, and Inception with this, like, traveling deep into your psyche and your dreams to, like, fix some problem, but, like... I don't know. I, I I didn't watch the whole movie, but you kind of get what I'm saying. There's like this seediness, grittiness coming in to to the the culture. Um, Saw Black Swan with my mom. It was weird. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a hot not sex a scene good. Yeah, not a good mother daughter movie to watch. I we really did enjoy the running. Com- we saw it in Baltimore, and we really did enjoy the running commentary from some of the other people in the theater. Though that's what made it less awkward when the like sex was happening. Like, finger her, or what were they yelling? I don't know. That's what I was yelling. Like, Sorry. Like, oh, damn. She came. Like, things like that. <laughs> that oh, was damn, a beautiful pirouette. <laughs> um, so, of course, what happened politically that year was Obama was trying to push the universal health care. Uh, and it 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 hits incredible resistance, um, both from his own party and from himself. Weirdly, he was kind of like <laughs> playing against himself by... Mm. By putting in uh, like a, a more conservative bill to start with, and then that gets watered <laughs> down farther to the ACA with like the Blue Dog Democrats opposing it. He's got the Senate and the Congress. If he was playing four dimensional chess, then Elizabeth Warren today is playing twelve dimensional chess. I think he was just playing regular chess and just not paying attention, or you know. No, no, that was his ideology. Was that though? Right. He's just a very no red states, no blue states. He was a novice, uh, and no, he really thought that you of... could bring these two sides together and have like a. He thought you could triangulate your way to yeah. progress, and that was the most realistic way to do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he tried to make this like agreeable to everybody, and the reaction. Uh, I'll play some audio of it. This was the birth of the Tea Party movement, which was partially astroturf by Koch brother type people. But it was also just like people really getting worked up about Obama and the ACA. Necessary medical expenses. Obamacare is euthanasia. It's rationing. They have a curve where as you start out as a baby, you become more and more important to get to a certain age. Then you're not important anymore. Where is this in the bill that people can find this? I don't even know what's in the bill, per se. What is the provision in the bill that makes you concerned that they might want to kill senior citizens? Uh, you, got, you got a real good blonde here. For, for, if you're, if, I don't know what side you're on. But. What do you feel so passionately opposed to this bill for? Uh, because uh, I'm a, an elderly, well, I'm 67, and uh, it's going to be rationed. But what, in our, what in our bill makes you think that? everything there it's just it's that's the way it's going to be it's socialized medicine and we do not want it anything specifically um the rationing but i mean where specifically in the bill do you find the rationing well i'm not actually sure to build, but i just heard tidbits and so forth about it and i'm like we don't want it and where is it people are hearing about the bill where are you hearing these things about that it's going to ration health care uh fox news this really brings me back to uh, 2010, and I think one important social and kind of cultural dynamic, which is this is the height of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Mm. And I just I think I remember listening to these sort of testimonials from weird randos with like tea bags hanging from like American flag hats and, you know, all the liberal the liberal class and the media class being like, look at these fucking rubes. It's all astroturfed. These are, you know, ignorant 
people get your government hands off my Medicare, this, that, and the other thing. There was this deep and abiding disdain for all these people that were involved in this movement. Probably for, I mean, a lot of it's for good reason. It's a politically ignorant sort of uh, manifestation. But at the same time, that sort of deep disdain for these people, of course, results six years later in Trumpism. Right. That's where I was going with this is that... Oh, um, you're welcome. Uh, ba- basically, uh, like when, when people asked me about it, um, like I was, I was traveling in Europe at some point this year and people were asking me about the Tea Party movement. And I was like, well, basically they have the right idea that like we didn't even mention the, the crisis in 2008 that gave us Obama. Um, and they, they even as like crazy as they were and brainwashed as they were, they had the, the, the correct idea that there needed to be something structurally different. And so that's why the driving politics of the Tea Party movement were like small government, like wingnut libertarian nonsense. Um, whereas the, the liberals just wanted to put a bandaid on the problem paper, literally just print money and paper over it and get away from like the idea that this ever happened. Well, wow, you need to learn MMT, Andy. Well, I, I, maybe Obama did it wrong, but that's kind of what he did, right? Like, maybe Obama needed to learn MMT. Uh, mixed martial arts. <laughs> mix, mix you want to fight Obama? Tarts. My favorite mixed martial arts is quantitative easing. <laughs> if you've ever done it, it's uh, stunning. To your point about The Daily Show, though, like, this is like an era leading up to the other shoe dropping in a mm-hmm. big way. And there's a galvanization of what's going on in the liberal mind watching these clips. The unspoken third person in these clips when you're watching them is the other person like the 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 liberal the person is supposed to be on your side and on the side of the reporter who's who's like roasting these Mm -hmm. you know tea party wing nuts and just reinforcing a lot of vague emotional you're right they're fucking wacko you will never look like this you will never be the person on the other end of this reporter's microphone Mm -hmm. and we'll get to you know when that happens yeah and there's the idea that these were very marginal people they're all old they like LARPed as the founding fathers and shit. Um, but I think they represented like a really widespread movement. Yeah. And I think some of the antipathy towards the, you know, legitimately terrifying things about the tea party and the right wing movement in general, kind of mixed in with some, uh, cla- I hate this word, but classism, on the part of these wealthy liberals Not where totally. like the the impressions that they would always do of these people kind of made them sound like a hick and i think that contempt spilled over onto maybe some actual working class people who were like oh wow uh, you guys hate us now we we weren't like this before but now we're going to vote for trump i don't know there there was there was no, a little I, slippage there i think you're totally right and the tea leaves of that are in the you know what we'll get to in the wake of trump's election but also just in like you know i mean i'm a comic so i this is where my brain's going to go immediately thinking about this sort of stuff. But like the type of like stand up that was real popular was like David Cross during this mm-hmm. era, just going around and fucking talking like this. Right. Everyone has a hick hicks. accent, even if they live in Ohio and cause it's like not a coastal. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Elite city thing. The all, all comedy and all the point of view that you would get from your little glowing rectangle in your house was just basically those people are fucking morons and you're smart cause you were born in a different state. And uh, I do think it eventually curdled and turned into like a, um, you know, like a, a, what do you call it, like a chip or whatever on the shoulder, like a, a resentment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, uh, if you think about what's happening in the real world at this time, maybe not exactly the Tea Party people, but like you were saying, Jamie, like the working class contingent of that, such as it existed, 
if they're in Ohio, they're losing factory jobs. Mm -hmm. Their unions are being destroyed if they're in a union. Um, the financial crisis is taking millions upon millions of people's homes, you know, and they're being foreclosed upon by the banks. So, And Obama's helping the banks to yeah, the people. that's right. And, and whatever sort of relief he puts in for actual mortgage holders is like, it's almost nothing. So, yeah, there's, there's this real disdain and elitism. Uh, on the one hand, and then there's actual real suffering on the other. And so are we surprised that six years later there's this backlash to this? No, not at all. And, and then, yeah, yeah, you're you lose your job. You get home for the day. You turn that show on and people are like, thank God I don't live in fucking Ohio. Where And it's yeah. like, you don't fucking know a single thing about my material conditions or yep. the state of my life. I think the biggest comedian in America at this point was probably Larry the Cable Guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's the only comedian where you go to a gas station and it, there's a section for Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he was uh, kind of not, he I mean, wasn't actually a cable guy, he was... Uh, it's a story. He's like a. He was a comedian, actually. Well, <laughs> he was in the Axis. Wasn't Jake he? Thought it was just a cable guy. That cable guy's real funny. He no, came no, up no, in the so... Axis of Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, blue, blue collar. collar. Yeah, 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 blue collar comedy. Yeah, Some of yeah, that, but there were like truthers around and be like, "Did you know if you look into it, he's actually like a dentist <laughs> yeah. or something? He was a professional and not a working class guy. That's like a professional guy. managerial <laughs> cable guy." <laughs> so there's all these questions of like, is this guy like? dressing up like a poor person and going around and then making fun of poor people to themselves by saying you son of a bitch but it's like get her done yeah well if they think you're actually poor then they're probably all right people like to make fun of themselves mm -hmm. you know? they're not understanding that like maybe someone is getting one over on them by this happening so it is kind of telling it's oh, it's fucking weird there's like layers and layers to this because you hear that story and you might think well, these people are fucking rubes, but I hear that story and I think that guy's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the name of that scene around Jeff Foxworthy was the blue collar yeah. comedy tour. So right. it was right. cementing this like working class identity yeah. around a Larry the Cable guy. And that you might be a redneck. Phony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you, right. you, if you, whatever, you might be a redneck. Right. And it's like redneck is not at all how I would just like it just a blanket term. It became like this generalized, if, like just if what, I can, south. But that also uh, like the, that offered people their own thing as an alternative to the fucking TV box yes. that was like, fuck you, you're an idiot. You know? True. No, like, it's mm -hmm. for sure. But before we get too sympathetic towards the Tea Party and uh, <laughs> Jeff Foxworthy <laughs> fans talk out about there. All day. Um, Ahmed the were... Dead Terrorist? Are we going to do... That was around that time. 9-11 uh, Mosque? Um, yeah, of course. It, like... Uh, there, there was like a growing racist element to this grassroots anti-Obama movement. Of course, the the birtherism, the conspiracy theories that followed Obama from the beginning, you know, that Hillary Clinton certainly didn't help. Uh, Shout out to Donnie <laughs> Trump for that um, one. Didn't he do that on Ellen? Did he? He went on a talk show to Jesus talk about Christ. birtherism. He, but he was following. He saw. He didn't. No, it wasn't Alan. birtherism. No, no he didn't. But I remember he did. went on a talk show. I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was Alan. But really the big moment, I think, besides the Tea Party this year uh, in terms of the right wing grassroots was this opposition to the Ground Zero Mosque. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, there is there there. I think there already was an Islamic center downtown and the guy that owned it wanted to start a, a new Islamic center across from uh ground zero uh, you know they're building the new building there or whatever and it, he wanted it to be like a islamic rec center or cultural center it was, there was going to be like a room for prayer but it wasn't going to be a mosque and people lost their shit and like people were bussed in from all around the country but also a lot of new yorkers 
really mad about it too. Actually, I, I'm not going to play the clip, but there's a news report that polled New Yorkers and the majority were against mm. this mosque. And there were these big, explicitly Islamophobic protests um, downtown. And the mosque, I think, eventually got canceled. This is another interesting thing that happens around this time that I think leads to Trumpism. If folks remember, at least in rhetoric, George Bush right after 9-11 and in years subsequent to that, um, he, he would say, like, this is not a war against Islam. Like, he did use the word crusade once, which was a huge mistake on his part. We're a crusade against terrorism. But <clears throat> amongst the mainstream conservatives and certainly the liberals, there was this real effort, I think, as we were brutally bombing and killing hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East to say, like, not all Muslims. Mm -hmm. So this ground zero mosque thing, I think, is the beginning of an open xenophobia, an open Islamophobia, and an open, uh, really... America first right wing reaction that had been again papered over by Bush, but kind of bubbles up in the form of this 9-11 mosque. Yeah, well, they were trying to do this delicate dance saying, oh, we shouldn't use uh, slurs. We shouldn't ever be. It's not against Islam. It's against these, you know, terrorists in the Middle East, but still carrying out these horrifying military campaigns and. I mean, I don't think you can do that shit and then not expect there to be some form of cultural blowback like that didn't yeah. happen in a vacuum. And Islamophobia, whether Obama wants to admit it or not, was a major thing that drove and enabled all of this shit going back to the Iraq war. Right. And the Iraq war is important because you talk about blowback at this time. You have tens of thousands. And then if you if you include like um contractors, hundreds of thousands of Americans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan who had killed, you know, men, women, and children who had seen that's, this. Uh, that's actually the origin of Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was an Iraqi uh, uh, contractor. He had he bodies was... on him. <laughs> that's why I went into the arts. <laughs> cable, uh, cable installation in Iraq between 2003 and 2010. Whew. He didn't want to be in that job. Blackwater did cable good, in Abu Ghraib. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, he it's installed dark. cable, quote unquote. <laughs> That's totally what he was getting paid to do in Abu Ghraib. Yeah, just imagine somebody with cables attached to various body parts. Mm -hmm. That's what he was doing. So this uh, racist right wing movement was not only just kind of focused on like xenophobia towards the Middle East and like, you know, um, related to the war on terror. But there's also this lingering uh, xenophobia towards Central American and Mexican immigrants. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course, this this like really picked up in the middle of Bush's term, like around 2005, 2006. With around the Sensenbrenner bill. Too. Stirring up this like, uh, you know, the, what what led to the beginning of ICE and these massive raids um, and the, the beginning of uh, militarizing the border. Um, it, it hits a new level in uh, 2010 with Arizona's SB 1070, which gave uh, police officers the right anywhere in the state to stop anyone that they suspected of being undocumented and demand papers. And there was like big grassroots protests in Arizona and around the country at this time. But uh, something that would become a familiar formula later on, it goes to the courts. The courts remove like the most egregious parts of the bill, but retain um, both some, you know, the strengthening of law enforcement in the bill and also this grassroots movement movement that really wants to punish and discipline and direct their all of their hatred and problems towards latino people or uh others in general um yeah this is peak like they're coming to take our jobs mm. era 
Um, and this is also the roots of that. You know, you can trace back to something that was like previous to the era we're talking about. But NAFTA caused a lot of this. And uh, it led, I guess it just sort of like mingled with the xenophobia from, um, you know, the anti quote unquote radical Islam thing. And somehow combined into like a just two-headed dragon yep. thing that, uh, and with the tea parties, so it's like all these things are merging. But there's nothing yeah. on the left. You know what? Really. There were these guys called the fucking Minutemen down on the yep. border mm-hmm. back at mm-hmm. the, around then. I'm sure they're still around. Um, but you, I mean, like when I would be driving around South Texas and stuff, you would just see these fucking people that were doing the same thing that the the uh, the Tea Party was doing, which is to grab onto this vague aesthetic of when America was perfect, which is when people wore tricorder hats and shit, and literally just dress up like Ben Franklin, <laughs> sit in a folding chair in the fucking sit desert. naked in a bathtub and uh, yeah, with <laughs> binoculars and like just do your duty as an American citizen was just to keep somebody from coming over here and and then what? And that was always the interesting thing is you talk to those people and you go, and then what? What are you preventing? What's the problem here? But they were beginning to build this myth of our economy would fucking work if it wasn't for this leak in the bag or that like some shadowy force is trying to destroy america by bringing in people of color yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and we have to defend the border so the minutemen were like a paramilitary organization and there was a lot of work done by leftists and people who support uh no border like no borders types people to like monitor them and stop them in many ways there's like big counter protests against them but now there's like dozens of minutemen and they're super well armed they're, they're at the border all the time and they work with border patrol mm. um, yeah directly i with mean them. you don't even need the minutemen when you've got ice in its current form right it's extra judicial. Well, got, no no they work together they you got they, both yeah and you had both back then i mean honestly like i remember t- i took a trip to el paso to do fucking stand-up at, around this time and i remember seeing minutemen and then also like ice agents for the first time in like fast food restaurants and gas stations and i didn't even know what they were at the time because i was like what's the green uniform you know that was like yeah. a it was a thing it was it was not entirely new it was you know it obviously came up during bush but it wasn't even a thing that was in the news that much but then you ask around and yeah there's this kind of vague secret military slash paramilitary alliance that's its job is just to enforce this thing that is very popular because mm-hmm. Of this big myth that everyone believes. Okay, so we're at 20 minutes for the for 2010, so I'm going to wrap it out uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, there are some signs of a growing left social movement, uh, not not so much in the United States, but around the world. I guess in the United States, there was the the beginning of the UC occupation mm-hmm. uh, movement. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the New School occupation. Oh, Sean, yeah, my in bad. 2009. I try to. Um, Blocked that out of my memory. But yeah, there's so the the new school occupations were a little bit more adventurous, a little bit about like a crisis of like power in the new school, which no one cares about. But the yeah. UC system was starting to raise tuition fees dramatically. I, I don't I don't remember the statistics of it, but they're inspired by the new school occupation. Mm-hmm. Some kids in Santa Cruz occupied a building, and then some kids in Berkeley occupied a building, and then throughout uh, 2010 and I think 2011 as well. Uh, there were a wave of occupations everywhere in the UC system with hundreds and hundreds of participants. So you really did see this like kind of very radical, uh, no demands movement that I like there. It turned occupation into a, uh, a goal in itself, right. of Like we're going to take this building and hold it as long as possible and use it the way we want to not demanding anything necessarily, but also just saying that this is our, we're students and faculty here and we'd, 
this belongs to us. Yeah, demonstrating the kind of inherent power that exists. And you had these occupations, and you also had marches of like tens of thousands of people at UC Davis and Santa Cruz and whatever. It was it was kind of the beginnings of a mass movement. It mm-hmm. looked it looked like a mass movement for some time. And of course, this is 2010, so that peters out. And then something that looks like an occupation movement maybe might happen later. Yeah, know. but and not only does it, in a way, it peers out, but also it like there's this kind of relationship with what's going on around the world. And you know, the the New School occupation was in a way inspired by the near insurrection in Greece in 2008. Not to mention a factory occupation at uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. Republic Windows and Doors, right. where workers occupied the factory uh, in order to get severance. I think it was as they were being laid off. So just the last thing I want to say about 2010 is that uh, this this movement in Greece, this big like near revolutionary movement that's like, you know, has a lot of fact fa- uh, uh, segments to it. But one part uh, is, is largely against austerity, uh, the austerity of the of the EU. Um, and on May 5th, there was a, a general strike. One of the there's general strikes all the time in Greece. It's normal. But uh, this one was a particularly long, uh, large one of about 500,000 people in Athens. Um, and during this general strike. Uh, the, and these strikes are getting like more and more militant and more violent. Um, a small group of uh, no one knows really who did it, but the story that people say is, is these anarchist teenagers set fire to a bank, um, and the people, the workers in the bank, were not allowed to go on strike. So they were in the bank, and two workers died. And this almost entirely paralyzes mm. the anarchist wing or the anti-authoritarian wing of the Greek anti-austerity movement. Um, it really stops the movement in its track and gives rise to a new kind of political moment in Greece, which uh, we'll probably talk about in the next years. <laughs> I also po- got, got my first kiss that year, so. Nice. <laughs> How Burying the lead. It was awful. It was on a, uh, the ledge of a fountain in front of a Starbucks in White Plains. Oh, nice. New York. That sounds very romantic. Everyone yeah. should have their first kiss in, uh, in White, White Plains. Plains. He had yeah. too much gum. Mm. Too much gums. I met him. Any at, gums too much gum? I, I met especially him. for your first time. No, no, no. He had too many much gums. Oh, oh! He like, was chewing, chewing gums. Bad. And he's just chewing. Yeah, he, was, he had a big league chew, <laughs> great flavor. That's how he wooed you. He was chewing while we were kissing. No, he. I met him at a, the Westchester Science and Engineering Fair. Nice. Yikes. Where, where is wow, he now? He must have been really cool. Where is he now? Oh, Simone's yeah. first kiss edition. Definitely an investment banker or some shit. Nice. Find him. I'll talk about my first kiss when we get to 2017. <laughs> my first kiss went a little like this. <laughs> so speaking of occupations, 2011 saw a wave of uprisings around the globe to varying degrees of success. Um this is the year we had the Arab Spring, uh, uprisings against corruption, authoritarianism, and austerity on the part of regular people, often occupying a physical space like a square in countries like Egypt, Tunisia, Yemen, Syria, and elsewhere. Um, and, you know, not all of them went very well in the end. I think. The only... What about the Syrian one? How's that doing? <laughs> I mean, that is just a cautionary tale, I think, of what can happen if you have a, a peaceful a peaceful uprising, hoping for a political revolution of some sort, and then you just see a violent backlash that nobody is prepared for. Um, I think the only country that has resulted in a change in government to date uh, from that movement is Tunisia. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. This is not my area of expertise. 
Well, Egypt got rid of uh, Hosni Mubarak. They kicked him out of office, and then they had an election, and it turned out the people voted for the Muslim Brotherhood. So the military came in and just installed like another strongman. So yeah, yeah. Then the rest of them, we know about Syria, um, Tunisia is doing fine. The rest are you know civil wars. Yeah, I remember around then I talked to. Uh, I had a, a shirt that said the people demand the fall of the regime, which mm. was like the Syrian slogan. Um, but I think it was like the whole Arab Spring slogan. And I was wearing it at a bodega. And the bodega guy said, oh, nice shirt. That's, that's really nice. So you support that. It's like, oh, thanks. Where are you from? He's like, we're from Yemen. There will never be a civil war here mm. because everybody's armed. Oh, well. <laughs> didn't, uh, that didn't uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, in the U.S. here, we had Occupy Wall Street. Occupy. <laughs> And I think Occupy was inspired, at least in part, by the wave of occupations that we talked about the previous year in the UC University system and the new school. I think I even know some people who might have been involved with that. Um, Occupy, what what can we even say? Occupy, Occupy, Occupy. There were successes, there were failures. Um, I think I was actually kind of touched the other day when um, Sam had Digby on the majority report to talk about the year, the decade in politics. And, you know, I like Digby, but she doesn't share my politics. She is a left liberal. And she gave a lot of credit to Occupy in a way that I thought was very sweet. Um, but I still had to issue like something of an alternate viewpoint, I think, because the thing that she sees as, you know, as somebody who primarily focused on, on electoral politics and progressive candidates for office is the message of economic inequality has now set us up for this wave of left populist realignment that's happening in the Democratic Party right now with figureheads like Bernie Sanders, AOC. I think she name checked Warren in there, but mm. that's OK. Mm. But like, fair enough, because Warren, you know, cut her teeth regulating the financial industry. And yeah, that a lot is... of the Occupy sort of populist rhetoric was anti-banks, mm-hmm. um, which is actually part of its uh, maybe not downfall, but one of the not great things it could have improved on was focusing on the financial sector, which made sense, you know, because of the crisis that had just happened. And that's very much Warren's lane, right? Yeah. Anti-corruption, anti And like, if you are committed to the system that we have, or you think that there's no alternative or revolution is crazy, how do you get inequality under control? How do you get the banks under control? You regulate them. So that makes sense. Um, However, I see Occupy a little bit differently. I think. Um, and not coming from a left liberal perspective, I see it as less as less of a success than some other people probably do. If their goal is to realign the Democratic Party and like spread awareness, our goal is to take down capitalism. Did Occupy do that? Of course not. Nobody thought it would. But um, I think we saw a lot of people become radicalized to take action against capitalism myself included, um, even if we don't didn't know exactly what that meant yet or what that would look like. And even if we had some reservations about the drum circle, which was very annoying to everybody who wasn't a part of it. Um, some people, including those who went on to become thought leaders, such as Jacobin's boss, Karasunkara, were a little turned off by the uh, horizontalism on display, the, uh, the lack of organization, or perhaps it's more subcultural elements uh, touching off the 
tedious debate around quote unquote normie socialism that continues to this day. Um, I'm sure Boscar doesn't feel good about this tweet now, but he did say something like attention, occupy protesters. I don't think you're cool. I'm rooting for the riot cops. Don't know when he's going to live that one down. I mean, I he has him, lived it down because I went he's to the, very successful now. But. I went to the few. bar with him last week and he actually said that verbatim to me again. So uh, He's yeah. had a few more regrettable t- tweets than that <laughs> if we uh, can take a moment to remember. Let's but not drag on the founder not, of Jacobin Magazine. No, but he I does mean, fine I, work. I, I totally agree. I think that like the no, it did not dismantle capitalism or even uh, make a plan to do so. But it, but, but, but something can be said for any time um, a po- like a some sort of uprising or movement or popular uh, popular movement kind of becomes national news. There is, uh, you know, when that wave recedes and it fails as this did, there's a residue of rhetoric left over that then can enter, you know political vernacular that and then you can build on it from there which is which is valid and um i think occupy definitely you know as you said popularized the the, the remember the thing i remember being uh, entering the vernacular the most was the 99 versus Mm -hmm. the one percent and that was that was that's very yeah i just want to say really fast i was i was at a meeting uh, I, i wasn't there for occupy um I like stupidly went to Spain to I want I wanted to cover the Indignados movement, which is like one of the Take the Square movements. Mm-hmm. There's one in uh, in Greece as well. It was like kind of like a pre like Occupy was called to like sort of replicate the uh, Take the Square movements, uh, but there wasn't anything in the United States. And Adbusters called for uh, an occupation of, of Wall Street, but they weren't they didn't have any network, so like people just had to like figure out how to do it themselves without Adbusters support. And so I went to one of these planning meetings uh, in the the summer of 2011, and it was all these weird factions, including like the Larushites were there. Um, there was what's a, weird about that? There was a <laughs> there were like kind of like more institutional activist people who had already done like an occupation of like City Hall against homelessness or like the City Hall Park, so they had already done something similar, and they were going to do the same thing. Um, and everyone had like very different ideas. And the first person to talk was was the guy who's, who was going to run the kitchen. And he talked, I swear, for like 15 minutes mm-hmm. about how we need to have uh, peanut butter, <laughs> but also we need to have a peanut butter alternative because some people are going to have peanut allergies. Hell yeah. And like, no that's, one had an idea. That's about a like, movement activist right and there. And I was like, oh, God, this is, this is so painful. This is never going to happen. And like no one has any real ideas here. And then like 20 minutes later, that same guy came back because uh, like the, we were talking about like uh the, the slogans of the movement same the peanut butter guy comes back and he's like i just read a statistic that you know one percent of the world uh, uh world's people controls like 70 percent of the wealth so our slogan should be we're not the one percent we're the 99 percent and we're <laughs> oh against the one percent and we're all gonna have signs that say that and like that's gonna be the slogan of occupy and I was like, oh, my. And it was like a beautiful speech. And it happened. Wow. If your movement, if your socialism wow. doesn't have a peanut butter guy in it, <laughs> yeah. it's not so it's not my movement. I'm still friends with the peanut butter guy. He's the man. Uh, yeah. How on an alternate timeline, the slogan could have been something about peanut butter. Or yeah. Something. Right, or it could have right, been right. like burning a big uh, Mr. Peanut with his monocle and top hat. Instead of eat the rich, That's eat, the the 1%. Mi- eat the Mr. Peanut. Oh, eat the rich. Eat the peanut. Just eat the peanut. Unless you're allergic to the rich. You can eat the rich in effigy in the form of ground up Mr. Peanut on your sandwich. Nom nom nom. Or maybe an alternative to Mr. Peanut if you have allergies. Yeah, I eat almond Oh, okay. Well, see, he was thinking. He was thinking about you. I'm the one. No, I'm the one percent. I get it from Whole Foods. It costs twenty nine (laughs) dollars for a small tin of it. Whole paycheck. Yeah, it's yeah, whole paycheck. (laughs) 
How? Yeah, on the Occupy thing, I think it's um, we need to, I think, grasp and struggle with the reality of it, which is that there was, as we talked about, this kind of building towards something that looked like the creation of temporary autonomous zones, but not as a sort of pulling back from the rest of society and just kind of creating a realm of freedom and quote unquote anti-capitalism. There was the sense that that sort of struggle you know, which has existed on the on the anarchist left for decades, that that could actually bleed out into the rest of society. You could create a new world by holding space, you know, in mass. I think we need to grapple with the fact that that failed. Uh, and I think that um, it was this sort of signal moment. But on its own terms, this concept of Occupy, as it existed, was not able to sustain itself. You know, it might have led to some interesting things. And, you know, we're living with that to this day. But it did fail, you know, in that way. It absolutely did. But I don't know, maybe just speaking anecdotally, where I was at in my life when this was happening was someone who was, you know, had the seeds of radicalization happening. And I had read my Zinn and my Marx and all this stuff, but it largely felt like impossible or a theoretical thing. And living in Texas and watching this happen, the thing that always stuck out to me was the layers of like meta cynicism around it, because this was sort of a time when a lot of people I was around and working like in, you know, or at least trying to work in something like comedy that's like kind of bougie and in the entertainment world, there were a lot of people that wrote it off and they were like, oh, it's a drum circle and it's white guys with dreadlocks and that became the punchline of it. But really at the end of it, understanding that it happened and that it was a failed experiment, but it you know, would go on to, you know, to I think was proven right eventually to at least lead into other things. The the main takeaway I had was that, you know, all of these people are so annoyed and they're like annoyed with and cynical about the drum circle and the fucking whole thing and the dreadlocks guy. But a year ago, they weren't talking about the drum circle or the dreadlocks guy or the occupier, the whole thing. So the fact that it's even entered the conversation is a huge Overton window mm -hmm. push. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that folks like I feel like the Daily Show made fun of it quite a bit. And like other, the New York Times made wealthy liberal articles were, were like really brutal, very contemptuous towards it, and they sort of minimized a lot of the activists as these like trust fund hippies or yeah, that's always whatever. The joke. It's like, oh, you're not actually poor, but you're talking on behalf of poor people, or you're, you know, you're a trusty crusty. Why do you have a cell phone or whatever? But like the fact that they felt the need to minimize this movement or make it seem like it was lame and not going to do anything like that showed its power because they could have just fucking ignored it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this was belied by the army of cops that they sent to yeah. deal with these protests. Like, oh, either we're a bunch of charm harmless trust fund babies or we're something that a requires threat. like a violent army to put down. Like it can't be both. I, I, one one real quick point is um, I was teaching uh, building trades apprentices history at that time and I brought a couple of my classes down so a bunch of like you know Italian American guys from Staten Island you know Irish American guys from Queens you know a bunch of Latino guys and uh, you know some West Indians and the culture clash was pretty palpable I'd say they weren't against it but they sort of thought the whole thing was a little gross um, just like physically gross like it was stinky all these people sleeping in this park. 
yeah. and there was, but there was no way for people like that, I think, to enter into Occupy in a real way because you had to dedicate so much time, you know, in order to be down at the park and do these long mass meetings. So I think it showed some sort of disconnect between, you know, segments of the working class and what was happening over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these critiques were valid. Yeah. Right? We, could like, do, we should probably just do a whole episode on Occupy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You should do it. Yeah. We will do and it. Speaking we'll get the peanut guy. We'll get the peanut guy. <laughs> but speaking of the abnormal left, we also saw a Posadist element bubbling up from the underground in the form of C-Punk, which the New York Times, the paper of record called an internet joke with music. We had artists, including... I thought that's what they called Vampire Weekend. How? <laughs> they should have. They should have. Um, we had artists, including Zombell and Ultra Demon, who none of you have probably ever heard of, take the dregs of Witch House, uh, the glued some seashells to a leather jacket, and created an aesthetic so successful it was eventually adopted by folks like Azalea Banks and Katy Perry, um, and I think this genre or micro genre was somewhat notable in that it was like at least as much of an aesthetic as it was an actual genre of music. Like I was there the day that C-Punk came to New York at 285 Kent. The year that C-Punk broke. The year that C-Punk broke. And uh, it was fairly it was like a fairly unremarkable rehashing of Witch House. It was more about the look. And I feel that's a very postmodern way to carry on a musical genre. So as the masses cried out with a resounding no, we heard some echoes of what the future might hold when all of these attempts to fix society ultimately fail and we surrender to the erotic mysteries of the sea. This is how we got Billie Eilish, folks. <laughs> Indeed. And you know what? This may or may not clear the table for us to finally build communism. Posadas might have been right about some stuff. Posadas might have been wrong. I guess we'll see. Um, also... Not to bury the lead or anything. I mean, it's not as important as C-Punk, but we also killed Osama Bin Laden. Well, he ended up awesome. C-Punk. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, then once he was dead, uh, we immediately ended the war in Afghanistan, of course. Okay. Yep. Just kidding. Folks, st- the war on terror is over. <laughs> We're still there nine years later. And didn't Disney patent SEAL Team 6 immediately? Or what was the, no, what was the name of the group that killed him? SEAL Team 6. Yeah, it was SEAL Team the 6. The Boondock Saints. <laughs> but did you know that Disney was bought seal. the term SEAL Team 6? I didn't know that. Right after Ugh. SEAL Team 6 killed. You can killed. buy like, military shit like you that? You can buy. You got enough money. They, wow. they trademarked SEAL Team 6. Disney did. They're going to make a Pixar That's movie dark. about them? So I'm not even joking. That's what Coco was about. I'm not even joking, but we should do an episode about the Seymour Hirsch uh, uncovering of what actually happened when Osama Bin Laden oh, was yeah. killed. And it's really good. Oh, man. We'll have Seymour on the show. I'll call him up. Sure. Well, okay. So just to just to wrap this up a little bit, um, we could play it or we could not play it. Uh, Obama's speech about how this team killed Osama bin Laden because we got him, folks. people have been bringing it up now in relation to Trump's speech about how the our, the military team killed uh, all Baghdadi. And uh, they're basic like they did basically the same thing. But the way it was received, especially by liberals, is very, very different because, you know. It openly declared war on the United States and was committed to killing innocents in our country and around the globe. And so we went to war against al-Qaeda to protect our citizens, our friends, and our allies. Over the last 10 years, 
thanks to the tireless and heroic work of our military and our counterterrorism lead to bin Laden. It was far from certain, and it took many months to run this thread to ground. I met repeatedly with my national security team as we developed more information about the possibility that we had located bin Laden hiding within a compound deep inside Pakistan. And finally, last week, I determined that we had enough intelligence to take action and authorized an operation to get Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. We sent a guy named Pete Buttigieg. Today, <laughs> at my direction, the United States launched a targeted operation against that compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. A small team of Americans carried out the operation with extraordinary courage and capability. No Americans were harmed. They took so, yeah, we got him. Yeah, it juxtaposed that against Trump saying... He died like a dog, people. He died like a dog. Don't we love it, yeah, folks? We love it. Whimpering and crying. <laughs> oh, a very beautiful, very talented dog. Like, it's the same shit, but it's mask off time for American Empire. And, you know, that could go one of two ways, right? It's obviously bad that people like this person who talks in this way, but also like maybe people should understand the full grotesquery of what we do overseas. And like, I'm not crying any tears for Osama bin Laden or Al Baghdadi. Uh, oh, you aren't. Okay, cool. But, uh, it, 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 it's, I'd cry for a dog. Yeah. I think it's mostly an aesthetic difference, right? Between Trump and Obama, like Obama doesn't even try. But Trump has this great comedic timing, you know, boom, boom, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember you what, might be a redneck. <laughs> no, that's remember what day this happens? That speech was. It was on May Day. Oh, oh shit! And I remember that so. because I don't remember who did the tweet. That's why we celebrate May Day. Somebody said. Uh, Anarchists celebrate uh, death of mansion owner on May Day. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Oh, oh, and yeah. just to wrap up the year again, because I always do this shit, um, we had not one, but two girl bosses by the name of Casey Anthony and Amanda Knox beat the charges. So mazel tov to them, I guess. Really leaned into their freedom. Exactly. Good for them. Yeah. Well, and now we're at 2012, and I think we all know what that means. The world ended. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> Andy's doing the dance, folks. Oh, look at him go. Woo. Damn, he's got moves. Wow. To this song? Yes, nice. It was playing somewhere. Such a baby. It was playing somewhere when I fucked he was gay. I lost mine to Bjork. I think that dates me. I was attending a company Christmas party for a bunch of white people, and all the ladies were doing the horse dance. And you were fucking at that party? Yeah, that's where I lost my virginity. Nice. We all lost our virginity. I don't think anyone Lose your virginity on the dance floor. Lose their virginity. No, it's not fucking at that point. What is it's it? It's making love. It, it, yeah, it's well, it's it's just confusing. It's I don't know. Style. It's being confused. Style, I believe. Well, I mean, I know that I lost my virginity to a soundtrack of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's, That's beautiful. Okay, but she like af- style on me. after the Red Hot Chili Peppers were at all cool. This was like the early two thousands. What do you mean after? 
<laughs> Game of California. Oh, yeah. I forgot who I'm talking to. Jesus Christ. RHC. How the fuck does that go? So, Jake, what is your historical materialist critical take on Gangnam Style? <laughs> Everyone put on your thinking caps because I'm about to get really dry. It's, Flores it's not time. something that you usually do on your show. Something we reserve for my show where we do the smart stuff. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I've written my uh, my piece out in a couple of long paragraphs. Mostly the um, the... Intro and the outro, so we'll do a little discussion in the middle. Uh, here we go, folks. 2012, OPA, George Zimmerman style. <laughs> Gangnam style. South Korean K-pop musician Psy embarks on a worldwide viral journey of the soul. Was that his name? I didn't even know what the guy's name was. Psy. 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 P-S-Y. Well, try not to share your ignorance, Sean. Psy. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think of that. Um, his song and music video, Gangnam Style, hits the spinning, gnashing gears of the nascent internet irony machine at precisely the degree and velocity that turns you into a millionaire overnight. He got really fucking lucky, right? Uh, the video reads, from the Western point of view, as a funny Korean man dancing atop an invisible horse while gallivanting around some strange part of the world called Gangnam, and no one knows what it means. We're looking at it through the veil of, like, English, you know, to harken back to the early internet, or uh, just the, you know, the vague thing that uh, Westerners have with, uh, you know, with the East, Orientalism, um, the absurdity of what you, what's going on over there in this place where I don't understand the language. Um, and that's all we needed to know before laying out the red carpet for Psy to become rest Western royalty. He does what anyone in their right mind would do. He secures the bag and starts erasing his old tweets and browser history as fast as possible, <laughs> successfully downplaying, and here's what I'm getting at, his anti-imperialist past. Whoa. Yeah, dude. As an Iraq war pre oh, protester. Man. Wait, yeah. what? Yeah, Sai used to be kind of like anti-imperialist. He used Holy to be kind shit. of left. We had all yeah. the flags in his profile. They have anti-imperialism in Korea? Exactly. In oh, South yeah. Korea, I mean, they kind of do. Um, he North Korea. Too. Like, well, sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Critical support for the DPRK. <laughs> um, so that was actually a second single. Size second single was Critical Support for the his DPRK. His second single was uh, Juche style. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Sai, like, had been, you know, he was a local celebrity, and but he had made appearances at um, mainly, like, anti-Iraq war protests. But, I mean, he's even, like, scrubbed some very ambiguous statements he made about North Korea and um, we must drown the capitalist pigs in blood. Yeah, I mean, who the fuck knows? You know, <laughs> he's he's kind of done uh, a good job at distracting everyone from who he was before Gangnam Style happened. Because I think what happened, he he probably made the correct move, which was to uh, you know to capitalize and, and get away, or correct depending on who you are and, and what you're talking about. But I don't fucking know what I would have done. Um, Take the money. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> He uh, he manages to keep us from ever understanding also what the song we're dancing to like idiots was even about. That's definitely true. Here's what's interesting. I don't know if you guys know this, um, but he's uh, he's I almost I called him like kind of a reverse Kurt Cobain and what he does here. And <laughs> that Gangnam is a rich, bougie neighborhood in South Korea whose locals in true capitalist fashion, consists of vapid hipsters who openly practice something called conspicuous consumption. Mm. Never heard of it. Thorstein Veblen, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you might move to Gangnam in your early 20s and take selfies with like a Starbucks cup. That's a really big thing there. <laughs> um, another thing is to pretend you're like you're poor while eating something called denjong stew, which is delicious, by the way. Um, I used to work at a Korean restaurant and uh, fucking I'm fluent in the menu and that's it. But it's uh, got five pounds of shark fin in it. I mean, they're honestly, dude, squid and shit like that. Like there's like really great shit like that in Korean food. And denjong stew is one of these types of food that... You go to a Korean restaurant in Williamsburg and you might sit down and have a really like dressed up version of kind of a working class stew. Uh, but it's, it's great. It's a gentrified stew. Yeah. Um, and so people in Gangnam would like eat it like the way in Bushwick, um, kind of a bougie hipster might eat like a chopped cheese, you know, mm, and then take right. it back to their own neighborhood and, and make like a fucking $25 chopped cheese and Miss the entire point of it. Oh, I'm sure there's a $25 chopped cheese available somewhere in Williamsburg. They're around. I mean, it's like not even a joke. Some listener should go and start that restaurant if there isn't one. Or we should find a place and order it for for dinner. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Gangnam Style might as well have been called Bushwick Style. But Psy either didn't care or actively abandoned his anti-capitalist beliefs when packing up and moving to L.A. to get rich as shit. That's how it goes. That's what he did. Right. Now he's running for president. <laughs> so it's really a PN to uh, gentrifying, uh, cultural appropriation, and uh, selling out. There's a lot going on there, and I would argue, yeah, all of those things, and also that um, he shifted from a collectivist to an individualist mm-hmm. when faced with the opportunity to make a lot of money during a time when all these things were uncertain existentially and thematically in all of the the media and everything that was going on the feeling i guess um Mm -hmm. in the air in a geographical sense in a philosophical sense as well he almost went from north to south yeah kind (laughs) of well you know some people live their principles and that's why we're not all millionaires here at the antifada not you know we totally could have been but the, the 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 lucha is too important for that. Uh, I think our next contract, I get a two percent raise, so we might be uh, might make my first million that way. A second thing happens in 2011. George Zimmerman, 17 year old Trayvon Martin, is murdered by Florida man George Zimmerman, mm. who operates on uh, an any press is good press philosophy. After realizing both his home state's gun laws and the cultural and social mores forming in America allow him to be an asshole to pretty much anyone within a certain radius of him. He will go on to spend the rest of the decade selling Blue Lives Matter shit online and taking selfies with guns. Um, If only he would take a true selfie with a gun, which is where you shoot yourself in the face. (laughs) Here's to hoping. Uh, Hot take. It's not too late, George. So I'll get to this when I... uh, when I wrap up, but there's a reason that I sort of cross these two things because, you know, they, they do seem like stories of someone, uh, you know, f- varying degrees of morality taking the same path, which is to uh, Chewbacca mom the shit out of your meme and then, uh, you know, try to make off with the bag. Um, mass shootings occur. James Holmes dyes his hair red and shoots up a screening of The Dark Knight in Aurora, Colorado. He's dressed like the Joker, we think. Uh, if you actually look back into this, it might have been misreported. He, uh, Is that where they got the idea for the Joker movie? <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe. It's weird because that movie sort of like vaguely alluded to this concept because the, the, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker is kind of a mass shooter type character. And yet, James Holmes... I think it's been debunked. I think, I mean, because he had red hair. He didn't have green hair, you know? Um, I think that's something that got misreported and just became like the meme. 
Um, but I don't have it on me to look up. So, you know, look into it yourself. Uh, Holmes also had daddy issues, just like the Joker. <laughs> he also, hell of a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Big staircase in front of Aurora, Colorado. Movie theater. Oh, <laughs> um, Adam Lanza shoots up Sandy Hook, the elementary school. Conspiracy theories start to bubble from the Alex Jones side of the internet. They're still going. People still are adamant that uh, that Sandy Hook never happened and the children who died were never real children. Larry the Cable Guy did Sandy Hook. There yeah. are truthers on that. <laughs> Let's see. Maine legalizes gay people. That's another thing that happened. Um, that's a joke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one, one, I was I was about to laugh. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I acknowledge your joke. First state to legalize gay no, marriage. Know the room, man. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm leading from like mass shooting of children into a joke about uh, Ellen or something. But listen. You're a professional. Go on. <laughs> clearly. Um, movie comes out this year called The Dark Knight Rises, and it follows on the heels of the uh, the Dark Knight before it and Batman begins. So it's the third in the trilogy that, you know, posed the question, what if we rebooted superhero movies? What if we made them dark and gritty as opposed to bright and shiny? And it's interesting because the Batman begins, I think, you know, whatever it's an interesting movie, but it doesn't have a lot of cultural relevance. The dark Knight gave us the Heath Ledger Joker and also served as sort of a, um, like a comment on, the Iraq war and Bush's era of anti-terrorism in the movie. Uh, the villain is, you know, he's, he's a stand in for, for the, the boogeyman that America has propped up at that point for the, uh, the Osama bin Laden, the guy with the, uh, suicide bomber vest, uh, the coordinator of all this shit. Right. But at this point, when the dark Knight rises comes out, um, a year after occupy the villain in the film is a big, bad collectivist. He's Bane. Ah, yeah. He's uh, vaguely Marxist and he's a throwback to like eighties cold war. You know, uh, I am Russian uh, here to, to take away your individuality type person. The movie gets mixed reviews and all that I can really tell from watching it is that it seems like it was made by someone who maybe has a different point of view than me, the viewer. Um, it's someone who's maybe addressed the uh, the room, uh, the, taking the cultural temperature, and thought this will play. People are uh, people are against you know these Occupy people, right, and what they're trying to do, and they're not for them, right? I saw it for the first time recently, and I think you're right. It's sort of this reflection of of how culture is going to try to start representing all of these sort of fissures and kind of underground tensions that exist in this late, late capitalist hellscape. You know, it doesn't do a great job of showing what actual populism is. Uh, the villain's kind of weird, but, yeah. um, you know, it's a first approximation anyways. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, at least for me, and I think this was a pretty common review of it is just, you left, you left with like mixed feelings and it definitely didn't, um, it didn't serve as like a third act punchline to the story that was so popular. The movie previous with the Joker, um, served maybe to illuminate a bit of a split, I guess. Argo happens this year. Argo, obviously, um, you know, propaganda film based on the uh, declassified CIA documents about this thing that happened. Um, does anyone even remember the plot to Argo? I'm like, I totally about Iranian about it. arms. Never I think saw right? it. it I never a, saw it either. But it was like a Canadian uh, group of people that were um, 
Uh, I don't know. Fuck it. I'll come back to it. Um, I mean, it's Ben Affleck. I think it won like fucking an Oscar, like one of the big ones. Um, but essentially, the the point I'm trying to make, I guess, with it was that it was uh, largely embellished. It's based on some documents that were uh, released and declassified, and they formed a script based around it pretty quickly that sort of served to make the uh, intelligence community appear to be these huge heroes. And if you look into the actual story, it's a non-story. They way overemphasized it. None of this shit really happened. Hillary Clinton faints from a blood clot and concusses her head. She'll run for president in four years. Yes, queen. <laughs> faint on 9-11 when she does. Yeah, you remember that? that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, yeah. loves to faint. 9-11 was great. her 9-11. And then uh, the big one. And then I guess I will open up the floor to discussion. Uh, Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan sort of challenged the Obama presidency, but mostly no one gives a shit. The glowing luster of Obama's 08 campaign is all but gone, but everyone knows he's still better than some asshole who owns dancing horses and talks like the Danny DeVito penguin from the <laughs> Tim Burton Batman movie. Off mic. Um, he's obviously caught. Le- uh, the, the audio's leaked. Um, I think I might have sent it in. I don't know if we want to do it. it. 47% of the people who vote for the president Some political commentators in the U.S. have suggested Mitt Romney's becoming a bit gaff-prone. And this video makes it easy to see why. 47% of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes doesn't connect. The GOP presidential candidate's been secret... That, um, that fundraising meeting where they got that leaked audio. Very similar to Pete Buttigieg in the wine cave. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, interesting to look at the different reactions to it. This may have broken his campaign, whereas Pete Buttigieg will see. Um, it's done. It, uh, I'm calling it now. For I fucking hope so. It's finished. Um, but, uh, you know, what happens in 2012 is that uh, this happens. Paul Ryan takes those gym selfies. Uh, he stages pictures of himself washing dishes with a, at a homeless shelter. He tries to convince us he listens to Rage Against the Machine. Um, Stop it, I'm horny. (laughs) Obama and Biden win to a resounding, eh, as people start to realize Guantanamo is still open. The war in Afghanistan rages on. And our cool black dad's main piece of wisdom is nothing will ever get better, but it might not get worse. Um, And also pull up your pants. Yeah. yeah. Uh, We throw chips at him one more time and uh, an ache grows within us. Not me. I voted for a Green New Deal. Not me. I voted for Obama three times. I voted for Mitt Romney. Not me. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) An ache grows within us that maybe we're constantly being offered a binary choice between fuck you and fuck it. It's starting to feel more and more like it's every man for himself. And maybe the smartest thing to do is throw all morals aside and cash in like you're George Zimmerman and it's Gangnam Style, motherfucker. Mm. Nice. Well done there. Um, Good turn. Jake, that was masterful. Thank you. My point being about the uh, Romney election or the, the Romney uh, campaign versus Obama is basically something that's you know not really hard to get your head around, which is that it didn't fucking feel like 2008 the second time around. Mm-hmm. It felt, um, but it still felt enough like the right thing to do was to vote for Obama and obviously not Mitt Romney that we were sort of... Um, you know, left with a vague ennui and a vague disconnected feeling, but not disconnected enough to take the full plunge like we did four years later. Who's we? Well, not we, obviously. <laughs> the, the American we. Yeah. I'm yeah. speaking because I'm the king. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think that's very true. I think when Obama won the first time, everyone was like, yay. I mean, I was very excited. 
And by 2012, we were all like, I guess this is definitely better than the alternative, but still not that great. Um, I think Romney in those comments was pretty, I mean, we all knew, but he was very revealing of the very successful strategy of Republicans, which is, hey, we need at least some non-rich people to vote for us. Um, and we're not going to win them over based on uh, any kind of class politics, obviously. So we need to shift the terrain into this culture war bullshit, which, you know, has proven effective for more effective politicians than him, like Trump. Um, and liberals can't really repeat that trick, I don't think, because if it's all about the culture war garbage, um like sadly, or I don't know, it is what it is, but the majority of working class people in this country, the first thing on their minds is not gay marriage. The first thing on their minds is not abortion necessarily, although abortion is a class issue. It's, you know, what are my material circumstances? And that trick, it, we're, we're hoping, I mean, I hope that it works, but I think for the first time we're seeing a real left alternative that is class-based and also intersectional on the part of candidates like Bernie Sanders. And we'll see. We'll see if it works. I think that um, it is possible for the Democrats to win on the culture war. I just think they've been doing it incorrectly. Um, what you need is like a galvanizing force, something to get people out of their seats and to the voting booth. That's why I think that they need to adopt C-Punk, <laughs> as as this kind of cultural force to fight this war. And if they get enough millions of Americans uh, involved in this sort of post-witch house movement, they might be able to beat uh, xenophobia, racism, and whatever. I mean, we're going to have to grow gills at some point. So yeah, right. It makes it's, sense. It's like prepping. Yeah, just one quick thing, because I remember this was huge back then. Um, in 2012, the Mayan calendar allegedly ended oh, one of right. its giant cycles. It. So yeah. I knew people... Um, I won't name any oh names God. who were convinced, absolutely convinced that the world was going to end. And, you know, they, they were anticipating this moment in time. They thought that, you know, I don't know what they thought aliens were going to come down or like Jesus was going to come back. Alien Jesus, whatever. Um, and then it happened. 2012, that date on the calendar passed and nothing happened. But I knew this one dead ender and very similar to like when Jesus dies on the cross and comes back and says like, you know, that people say, oh, he's going to bring the new kingdom, but nothing happened. I was like, dude, 2012 happened. The Mayan calendar ended. You know, this is supposed to be the end of the world. And he's like, yeah, it happened. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it happened. You just can't see mm -hmm. it. You can't see it. It happened yeah. in an ethereal plane. Yeah, I think I That's what I that tell my boyfriend after we have sex. I'm like, I came. It happened on an ethereal plane that you couldn't visually see. He, he kept searching for the ethereal plane, but he couldn't find it. Oh, yeah. But but I assured him, oh, oh you found it. I just I couldn't confirm Oh, that's uh, that's funny. And now I'm going to ruin it by clarifying <laughs> a point that I muddled earlier when I said that most working class people, the first thing on their mind is not gay marriage. It's not abortion, whatever, because obviously it works for the right. It works f for the, the people who might vote for Republicans, but for people who aren't already like bloodthirsty evangelicals who might go left doesn't work so well. Huh? Yeah. Not funny, no. but 
Clarifying, Clarifying. perhaps. Mm. All right, fuck it. Clarifying is another thing I do during sex. (laughs) (laughs) Clarify a lot of things. There we go. um, Thank you, Simone. You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're just here for the sex commentary. Uh huh. It's good. Just here to say, yeah. 2013 is a sexy year. Let's go for it. Well, if 2012 went out with Gangnam Style, 2013 came in like a wrecking ball. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, this is my song. I love this stupid song. Similar to the uh, Gangnam Style dance, Andy is now half naked on a giant ball just swinging around the studio and knocking walls over with his tongue out. Oh, way to steal the show again, Andy. If, if you folks could see this. Et cetera, et cetera, wrecking ball. Bad wrecking ball. That song is so fucking catchy. Yeah. That's good. Uh, video directed by friend of the show Terry Richardson. Really? Ooh. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> Pre canceling. I mean, I had already tried to cancel him, but it, it didn't, didn't take. take. Yeah. I remember listening to the song and, and like tearing up a little bit when it when it it hit when you found out that Terry Richardson directed yeah, the video. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm more of a Billy Ray Cyrus fan. <laughs> When Folks, you found out your apartment was going to be destroyed by a wrecking ball. <laughs> From a quitting Pope to a twerking Miley, 2013 was a year of stunning mediocrity. It's tone set by Obama's second inauguration in January. Uh, but there is a, uh, a bright thing I'd like to talk about in 2013. Spring Breakers. Oh. Spring Break. What are you talking about? That was a fucking masterpiece. Spring Break. Spring Break. I don't know how to, I don't know what to feel about Spring Breakers, but we are all alien. It, I think it was definitely saying something about the culture of 2013. Big time. Where's the money? I remember. What? <laughs> Those girls definitely got yeast infections. They were in bikinis every day of shooting for three Including months. Including in jail. Yeah. Those. Special from the moment I saw. <laughs> there he is. Maybe James Franco's best performance. Mm-hmm. So shit, I forgot that was James. It was yeah. James Franco. It's James Franco he became with the role he so did. well. His method he acting lost became riffraff. Yeah. <laughs> so there, but there's something in the culture where, like, there's suddenly this knowledge of street movements from Occupy. There's this sense that things are not right. That like the okayness of the Obama era is a facade. That like there's this kind of need to rebel this like possibility of rebellion but nothing actually works because the cops just bust your head immediately and i think spring break kind spring breakers kind of express this in a weird way where you have these um like a kind of stereotypical typical white girl co-eds undergrads who they have this incredibly violent robbery and masks uh and in order to fund this uh spring break trip where they just like do normal spring break nonsense like drink a lot and do coke off like each other's bodies and they get arrested and then they they get sucked into this underworld of of like incredible wealth and crime with uh this white rapper named alien played by james franco it's a florida underworld if Uh, ever there was an underworld of florida this is what it looked like and he's in this feud with uh gucci Mane, who cannot act at all (laughs) and uh they turn out to just and it seems like they're going to be scared off and they've realized they've gone too far with this you know, life of crime and partying, but they turn out to be even more violent and fucked up than the other two. And I think it kind of foreshadows this like uh, dark, violent energy that 
that lies even in the heart of like the normality or like the okayness or uh, material stability of a lot of the United States. And There's think, a spring breaker in the White House. <laughs> oh, big time. I, I think it's that terrifying. the film really, uh, you know, shows this this kind of blanket anxiety that exists. And it also shows, I think, the emptiness of um, all of this, all of the culture in the United States. Like, it, it's a very, like, kind of existentially damning movie. And um, I think it's... You know, it goes really, really far, similar to a Tarantino sort of film, playing up the violence and playing up the depravity. Um, and at the end of it, for what? For nothing, right? And this is kind of American culture, mm-hmm. at, you know, at this moment is like, they're, they're not really For fighting. money, for thrills. Money is money, but, all right? <laughs> Remember, it's a perfect companion piece to that video of the Girl Scout, or the girl who stole the money from the Girl oh, Scout, yeah. remember? Yeah, that was And uh, they're like, why'd you do it? Episode. And she's just like... I wanted money yeah, and spring, I didn't have money and I took breaker. the money and then I had some money. Like we even, I think we even played that for our friend, friend of the show, Dr. Jacob Blumenfeld, yes, yeah. who was visiting the United States for uh, yeah, the, the, the only time in a few years, I think. And he was always like, Jamie, tell me what memes are. And hmm. like, we took him to see that movie and he was like, oh, this is so profound. This is such a profound statement yeah, on he, capitalism. He loved it. It's so dialectic. It was Blah. his joker. It was definitely like a Hegelian Marxist joker, for sure. <laughs> and like Harmony Corinne is kind of an idiot savant in that way that I think he has a way of like tapping into and channeling these energies without totally understanding them. So then when you get him in an interview and he's like, I don't know, like he's not just being like a Warholian contrarian, like he actually doesn't understand. All it. right. All right. Quick thesis. Gummo is an anticipation of the Tea Party and Spring mm. Breakers is an anticipation of Trump. That makes sense, given you know, <laughs> given Trump's like middle class. Uh, I own a jet ski type of base and perennial or, yeast infection. Uh-huh. <laughs> Big What's, time, a lot of yeast in those folds. What is kids in anticipation of? <laughs> kids is anticipation Me. of um, I don't know our live or sea punk. Let's just throw sea punk in there. Kids I don't know why. Chloe Sevigny. Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. Kids is an anticipation of adults. Nice. Nice. So, also, some things happened in uh, this year, 2013. In April, there was the Boston Marathon bombing, which is like a you know a really one of one of the worst terrorist attacks in the United States by one of the hottest men. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It killed three people. It injured dozens, and it led to this total shutdown of boston for a few days i don't know if you remember it was just like martial law in the streets of boston where where they were just like going door to door looking for these guys and they ended up fueled by reddit oh yeah and fucking fake Mm -hmm. like uh vigilante kind of uh trying to fish him out and identify the bomber on reddit random muslims in the muslim looking people in the crowd brown people in the crowd led to way more confusion and they fucked it all up and then everyone's like hmm, maybe we shouldn't use fucking reddit to uh, yeah and then after that the fbi continued to harass uh members of the sarnia brothers friends and family thinking that like maybe they knew something trying to get them to cooperate in one way and it's all a really horrible story they end up murdering his ex-girlfriend i think it's his ex-girlfriend um yeah look into that stuff it's all it's all really disgusting uh you know how the the state 
you know, and they were involved with the Sarnias before that too. So that I think like he was supposed to be some kind of asset to them. That's what I heard. Uh, very weird, awful stuff. Um, and while this is all going on, a 29 year old NSA operative named Edward Snowden was in a hotel in Hong Kong Journalist. talking to some Guardian journalists. Whose name will just punch uh, in randomly with like a computer voice. Rita Skeeter from Harry Potter. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. Um, Do not yeah. say the A slur on our show. <laughs> you know, letting them know just how much power the security state in the United States has. They can just listen to your calls at any time, watch you through their through your laptop computer. Um, they send they send agents to entrap people and harass people in all these different ways. And there's just no oversight of it. There's, you know, I think out of this, there became more of a rubber stamp process. But at the time, they could just do it. They, they did things, you know, we would learn about like how horrible the Stasi was in school or whatever, but they did things that the Stasi could never do. You had to actually listen to calls and like type them up back then. Now they just have it and they can just listen in at any time. And nobody in the government wanted to do anything about it. They hardly even acknowledged it. And this is something Obama ran on. But even the Republicans who have this sort of like pseudo anti-tyranny mm. libertarian streak and the progressive Democrats, nobody sincerely wanted to curb it. And uh, later in the year, you get this uh, uh, another uh, horrible incident of this fraud where the government shuts down. On October 1st, this was the Republicans doing it, Ted Cruz specifically, um, making a big deal about the, the debt ceiling, like make it, again, playing this pseudo-libertarian card about the government shouldn't be spending all this money and, the, you know, pretending that he wants the government to, to be smaller and go away. Um, but again, to end the year on uh, a bit of a positive note, there's the emergence of this, uh, of a new social movement um, that'll kind of dominate the streets in the next couple of years. Uh, after George Zimmerman, who we talked about um, the previous year murdering Trayvon Martin, he's acquitted under the, the Stand Your Ground law. Of course, we know now that he has just always been a horrible racist sociopath, violent, awful motherfucker. Uh, not that uh, any justice would have been done by him being convicted, but he absolutely should have been convicted. Um, or worse. And as a result of, um, of him being acquitted... Uh, three black community organizers rolled out this hashtag campaign called Black Lives Matter. For the most part, uh, actually, there was like some pretty big street demonstrations when uh, Zimmerman was. Uh, I remember there was one in New York where I think a couple thousand people came out, uh, mostly black and brown youth, I should say. I was there. Um, and it was one of the rowdiest demonstrations since Occupy. There was the for the first time I think I'd ever seen it. Um, th we shut down the. Uh, Lincoln Tunnel. We blocked the Lincoln Tunnel and the West Side Highway. Um, there were just so many people and they were so militant that uh, cops really couldn't do much about it for a while. It's quite the march. Kind of signaled something new mm -hmm. in the air. Yep. Yeah. I went to Black Lives Matter events in Brooklyn in 2013 and remember being, you know, I don't know, kind of like um, a little bit worried about the residual feelings of cynicism around Occupy, given that, oh, it's a bunch of dumb kids and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, and every once in a while, there's like a white person who's yelling, whose streets, our streets. And you go, no, no, hold on. That's probably You're not probably not the person to do that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but there were old black people, old, like, not, I mean, like you would talk to them and they would talk about, you know, the other protests that they went to. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the start of something, I guess, or at least I felt like it probably was the start of something a little bit more solid and a little bit um, 
easier to take seriously. And uh, not that they both weren't important, but this one, I don't think that you could really wave off as being a silly thing for college kids. Uh, although people do. You're just more of an asshole yeah. if you do. Um, yeah, well, that was one of the missing ingredients, I think, in Occupy. Because this was a black and brown led movement that stitched together economic issues and racial issues in a much more convincing way, I think, than Occupy was doing. Yeah, it was uh, the second evolution of the Pokemon that we um, hopefully uh, turns into something like a a Blastoise or a Charizard that we can use to (laughs) defeat. Wrong show, dude. (laughs) <laughs> um also in one of those uh occupied th- or in one of those black lives matter protests uh i was part of a die-in that i didn't know i was a part of so everyone around me fell on the ground and then i didn't because i didn't know you <laughs> curb your enthusiasm we also went and uh yelled at target after i had bought socks there a few hours earlier yo what <laughs> yeah it was all larry david vibes <laughs> <laughs> nice all right, did we get 2013? Yeah, um, how about we uh, we call it for this? Maybe we can take a break here, and we'll come back in a second episode with the rest of the decade. Which I'll be right. kicking off. I know yes. you all enjoyed me just kind of providing important commentary like yeast infection <laughs> every now and then, you, but I, I have some You did go me. to a brunch before this. Yeah, I was, at a, I was at a boozy birthday brunch. We'll uh, hear many more Simone firsts in uh, 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving disguised as a feast Rolling in the Rolls Royce Caniche Only the doctors got this I'm hiding from police Cocaine seats All white like I got the whole thing bleached Drug dealer chic I'm wondering if a dog's prayers reach It's pious, pious for God loves pious Socrates asks who's biased for y'all seek Off plate of Screech I'm out here balling I know you hear my sneaks Jesus was a cop in the Yeezy Late beat Overflow the Holy Ghost, get the hell up out your seats. Preach. Human beings in a 